Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a long-awaited episode of the Busted Header Podcast. I am Chris, a.k.a. Not the Fake Webby, and I am joined, as always, by Jake, a.k.a. Halbertius, a.k.a. Hal. It's Hal been, goes in. It's been a long time. I warned people at the end of last pod. I said, I didn't know when this was going to happen. You said, oh, it'll be like a week. We can find... No, lies. Yep. Lies. Like three yep. weeks later. I've been to Michigan. I've been to New York. Ben, I've been, been to, to Michigan. For did not seconds. visit me. I said you can come to visit me. I told you where I'd be crazy. at. That's crazy behavior. I was a short drive away. I had no car, though. You even have a house you right gotten next to me. to me, and you, just, you still didn't visit. It's crazy. <laughs> I need a way to get there. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's no public transport in Michigan. Yeah, well, there is. Not just stuff that'll take you from East Lansing to Holland and back. <laughs> I'm saying. Maybe if I jump on, like, three different buses. <laughs> we, we, a we, we don't have an interstate train system, is what you're saying? <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. Uh, all right, on to basketball. You want to wrap up uh, kind of the recent week here? We don't need to, to wrap up. I think we've, we've been gone for too many games to wrap all of them up, but you want to give us kind of the quick... Are we, are we, are we covered any games yet? I don't think we... I think this we is the did first the first season. couple, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. Might have, might have been preseason games. I don't... I want to say we the last pod we had was right before we went... Right before the Magic game, right before game one. Might have been. Might have been. Yep. So, um, let's see, let's summarize. Um, Pistons. Uh, bad. Bad. Shocker. Bad. Bad, bad. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah. We got, I think, tricked game one, where the Pistons came out, started off slow, came back and beat the Magic, and then lost five straight. What is this? And they beat the Warriors somehow. What, what is this we? We, what, what is this we getting tricked? I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm saying a broad we as a as a fan base okay. of optimistic people. Maybe that works, yeah. Okay. You were saying something about so, the Warriors? And then they beat the Warriors, yep. somehow. Yeah. Still don't quite understand that one. Well, and then lost required. three more games. Remember how yeah. we've, we we always play the Warriors way tighter than we have any right to play them. Yeah, it's we've always done that since they've been like the Warriors, the Warriors. I would love to, I wonder what our record is. It's not great, uh, but like but we, no one has a great record against no, them. But like we beat the seventy-two win team, and then I think the a year later we like took them right to the wire and lost on like a buzzer beater. Uh, it's been pretty good and pretty competitive games. They seem to show up for those games. Yeah, which I mean, it would make sense. So we're we're potting Opt. directly after a win versus OKC. Uh, which follows losses to Cleveland and Milwaukee, which, I mean, Cleveland was without Garland and Mitchell, but just clearly we didn't have Duran and Bagley and, like, <laughs> just got massively mm-hmm. outsized. That that was obvious. Uh, it's kind of similar for the Milwaukee game. Uh, Duran comes back, they, they compete and have a nice W versus OKC. So uh, at least we're potting kind of on a high note here, kind yes. of. Uh, the Pistons definitely Relative. are still... To repeat, three and eight. Uh, that's uh, a twenty-three-ish win pace for the season. Uh, I would like to remind people. Uh, I don't know if we said it on here. I'm pretty sure we did, but I definitely said it on Twitter. Uh, take that under. Continue to take the under. Uh, I know we we discussed it at least that like after I think uh, Bogey joined the team, it was like a twenty-nine and a half up from like twenty-seven and a half, something like that. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, it ain't gonna happen, guys. Uh, that'd be a pretty miraculous leap. They were a 23-win team last year. 
I'm still thinking like 26, 27 is going to be where they land this year. Uh, maybe they get a little healthier. The fact that, uh, you know, one thing I didn't put in here, uh, Bogey's extension. We need to talk about Bogey's extension. Uh, the fact yep. that they extended him and probably are going to keep him for the rest of the season does make that a little more likely that it, like maybe they can touch 28. But I Can mean, he be traded at all? Yes. Or is he... So it, the contract did get signed at a time to allow traded before the deadline, right? So do you want or is there? Do you want the cap expert details? Because I had to dive into this. All right. Okay. All right. I, w- I want them. That's okay. what I'm here for. I, I missed it, so I don't want them now. Okay. So sign and trades. Everything is is built around uh, sign and trades, rather extend and trades. The extend and trade rule says that the that if you are going to extend and trade a contract. The maximum total years, so the years remaining on the contract plus the new years, can be no more than three. And uh, there's a certain raise structure involved as well. Percentage or something Uh, like that. And I don't remember that detail. What I do know is that Bogey was traded to us. Because of that, we couldn't even give him um, more than those two years. Uh, There's a six-month waiting period after a trade before you can break sign and trade or extend and trade limits basically so if we wanted to we could have given him a, a four-year extension right given him five total years uh, which is the maximum extension we would have had to wait until mid-season to do that right it would have had to happen in uh we traded for him at the beginning of september so it would have had to happen like basically at the end of last year like april may uh of next year rather um mm. so like in order to give him that long of an extension, you would have had to wait. We Obviously, nobody really wants to give Bogey a four-year extension, so that's crazy. Um, yeah. The same, the same thing would have applied even if we hadn't traded for him. Um, he would have been trade eligible under this contract anyways because it's still within the sign-and-trade rules, right? So or the extend-and-trade, I keep saying sign-and-trade, but extend-and-trade rules. So the extend-and-trade rules is three <laughs> years. Uh, maximum of three years. Uh, because they got him in a trade, they could do it. Had they, uh, even if the, even if he'd been, um, you know, on the team this year, and they'd signed him to this extension, um, without that that trade, uh, he's completely eligible. There's no time after this extension was signed. There's no there's no delays. There's no oh mm-hmm. they have to wait till December fifteenth. He was immediately trade eligible. Um, yeah. So sorry if I explained that poorly, but. Uh, uh, he's immediately trade eligible. It's it's eligible under the extension and trade rules. And the other thing to note here is that the final year is we uh, I believe the number is two million is guaranteed of the twenty ish per year, uh, like nineteen a year. Yeah, I, I want to say that's correct. And I believe I seeing that, and I was like that 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 little detail I think made me from being like that's yeah, okay deal. Like I'm yeah. I'm not I don't hate it. I don't love it. To this is actually a really good deal. Major win. And this. Yeah, two million of the nineteen million of last year is guaranteed. Yeah. So this the, that takes this from a a uh, uh, like oh that's nice for Bogey and we're not going to care in two years really that's not really when we need to win to oh not only is this like a good deal for Bogey it's still tradable right now it just got like a more tradable contract because he's not going to run away yeah. from you at the end of the year but you can get off him you know it's going to be a really valuable contract next year. Uh, because he'll have basically an expiring um, with that option. So, yeah, this is a, yep. just great business from Troy Weaver all the way around. And I would even say it honestly makes it even more tradable in that final year of his deal. His deal. So in the 
2014 offseason, uh, that will be a very, like, it'll be a sought-after piece. No, it won't be when because someone... 2014 was nine years ago. <laughs> oh, okay, 2024. <laughs> what year? How old are we? God old. damn. Old. You can't In even 2020, complain I'm older than you. I, I think my, my brain looked at, like, 2024 and went, that can't be right. It's got to be 2014. <laughs> Absolutely that's, not. That's what yeah. we mean. It like overrode it. It's like, no, nah, that nah, can't be it. <laughs> uh, so in 2024, that will be a contract that you can go and maybe, you know, package it uh, to get some or to get someone, uh, you know, on a bigger deal that they, the other team wants to right. get off the money. I, I didn't know. Or, do you know what the date is on it? If do you have it pulled up? I didn't. It is fully guaranteed on June 29th. So okay, so that is pre-free agency before. after draft. Exactly. So that's that's a good time frame that's a, a favorable time frame for for troy then um mm-hmm. yeah so good business really good business yep. and he's and he's very been good for the team i mean <laughs> he's been very good for the team i'd say <laughs> i feel like he's been my biggest surprise that i've seen not that i am shocked by his production but i just feel like i didn't expect him to be the second best scorer in by far the most efficient scorer on the Pistons this year. Oh, I, I knew the by far the most efficient. That was a guarantee. Bogey yeah. topping true shooting numbers for anyone who isn't named like Jalen Dern was going to be like a freaking guarantee. Or I guess uh, Bagley. Like anybody who doesn't dunk, he's the let next me, one. Let me, let me change this. I did not expect his efficiency to go up after he left a Jazz team with better players. <laughs> that's a little more fair, yes. Does that sound a little more, more realistic? That's a little more appropriate, yes. Um, and, and obviously he's just completely changed things with his shooting, all the, all the actions the Pistons have been running with non-shooters in the past, um, or stuff they ran with Kelly Olenek and it just didn't quite look right. It just looks so much better now. He's made their Spain sets just ever more glorious. Uh, the Pistons should basically not run anything other than Spain at this point because it's basically their only successful routine option. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's been... Really, and, really good. And is it fair? Like, I, I will admit that I haven't watched most of the more recent games just because I've been all over the place. But from the earlier games season I watched, it also surprised me how much he was doing in isolation, it felt like. Uh, I would not expect him to be, like, an isolation scorer. But... I mean, less, less like, true isolation, more just, like, attacking, like, and quick the... triple threat stuff off the catch. You know, like, he's not a guy who's going to, like, hold bit. the ball and hold the ball. But, I mean, he's a really good driver. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, an absolutely elite uh, pick and roll playmaker uh, in the kind of the rare occurrences that you actually set one up, and really great at attacking closeouts, and he's been really good at that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess worth moving on here to to section two here real quick is the injury roundup. Uh, Dern is already back, uh, which is great. We didn't even have to mm-hmm. announce that he was injured because we didn't do a pod then. So uh, he's he's already come back from his uh, what looked like it could have been a pretty nasty ankle sprain. Uh, Marvin Bagley is back in practice, ramping things up. We don't have a due date mm-hmm. yet, but all signs are positive. Um, I think I saw that he is doubtful for our next game. Yeah, but like we're we're at the point where like we're talking about it. Um, exactly, which is yeah. really early, really early, weeks. really promising for him. Um, mm-hmm. Noel is back. Uh, I feel like I'm missing something. The only other person is that we have not yet seen Alec Burks play, uh, but he is now practicing and sounds like eligible soon. Uh, no, mm-hmm. no dates, 
I don't know that he's been uh, on the injury report still or not. I know that they said basically everybody practiced, like actually practiced for the first time a couple days ago. <laughs> Any Anything you want to... Uh, I guess the other thing to, to note here, uh, he's playing, but we just talked about him. Bogey like, had like a shoulder stinger a couple games ago that is not... And ever since then, his three-point shot has like plummeted. So I'm thinking he's working through something and they just don't want to sit him. Um, if yeah. they can help it because he's so he's valuable overall. from a spacing standpoint. But uh, that clearly affected him. He was grabbing it a couple times in the same game. Uh, maybe Milwaukee. Um, so something to keep an yeah. eye on. If he ends up sitting for a day or two, that's probably why. Yep. And also I want to say, I want to go back and note that Burks is actually questionable for uh, Wednesday's game against the Celtics. And both him and... Uh, uh, Bagley are game time decisions. Looks like those are the only two on the injury report at this time. Yep. So, which means that they're probably still a game or two out, but like they're practicing now, so they aren't out, uh, which is yep, good. Exactly, which is good. Uh, Bagley, I still don't know. I don't know if you have an opinion on this. I still don't know where I want him in the rotation. Uh, Burks is pretty easy. <laughs> now Burks is gonna Burks is gonna play one hundred percent, and it'll be very interesting to see, like a. I don't know, fill in the blank with Burks and Bogey and, like, a Sadiq. Like, that's a really good shooting lineup there. Yeah, they do have a chance you to put, do that. You put Cade there, you put Ivy with them as, like, a point Ivy. Like, that's a really fun, interesting lineup that can... Uh, you pair them with the Durin or Stu or fuck whatever center you want. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Doesn't. And you can just have pick and roll for days, so... It'll be interesting to see, and I'm very curious to see how Casey uses Burks um, and Bagley. Who knows? Yeah, my my big that, question for Burks is like how much he's he's been like more of an on ball guy than people might think uh, for a lot yeah, of his very career. Much for the Knicks. So the question is like, is he going to come in and like kind of take like a Kojo role where he's taking a lot of possessions on the bench away from Killian, or is he going to be more of a you know, more of a secondary player and just be like, what if Hami was Burks? You know, all those touches was just Burks. Because, like, that's really promising. If he's, like, replacing Kojo's minutes where he's, like, doing, you know, 60% of the the playmaking for a given possession. Um, like, the Pistons might be a little better, but I'm not sure that's a overwhelmingly productive use of him uh, as far yeah. as the developmental sake. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what he does coming on yeah but i mean i'll be curious to see it's always good to add another you know quality three-point yeah, shooter they need him to the rotation because yeah like he just said yeah they're gonna need it they, they need, need it right now they need it badly all right shall we move on to stats of the week sure thing so i you have to <laughs> what's that you've you found some advanced statistics for this one. Oh, so these are these are all from cleaning the glass for the most part um and basically, I wanted to take a quick snapshot this time. Uh, I think we're going to bring this section back, and I'll kind of use it to, to guide things in, in whatever direction we want to go. Um, but per cleaning the glass, um, which does a good job um, of using box score data to sort out possession types, it's it's the big advantage. Um, I cannot remember the guy who, na- who runs it. I can't remember his name, and it's going to kill me. Um, that's it's that's annoying, but uh, 
the big thing they do is they separate half court and transition offense. So you can take a look at that. And they just basically look at the, the kind of the time and place in the possession of where things were scored to do some, some kind of simple logic about what half court uh, and what's uh, transition. But right now, per their stats, Detroit is 27th in half court offense, uh, 89.6 points per 100 possessions. That is very bad. Uh, their half court is almost 20 points worse than their overall O rating, uh, which is 107.8. Um, you know, so that's uh, 26th, also pretty terrible. Um, part of their advantage over the half court is that they are 11th in putback efficiency right now. So they are offensive rebounding, getting uh, decent uh, value out of, out of their offensive rebounding, which is thanks a lot to uh, Duran and Hami, I think especially, have been really good on that end. Um, Stu has, has been doing a lot of work in box outs, but maybe not... Uh, I don't know that he's had quite as much success as an offensive rebounder. Um, mm-hmm. But just overall, those are not great numbers, right? Uh, your half-court offense being uh, sub-90, I mean, you expect your half-court offense to be worse than overall, right? You expect it to be worse than transition. But uh, yep. to be under 90 is pretty bad. Uh, the good offenses can get pretty close to 100. Um, and some will even go over it in half-court. Um, yeah, I would say that is a worrying trend and something that I feel like coming into his tenure was a worry with Casey, as I felt like some of his Raptors teams really struggled in the half court. And I think we've, I don't have the year over year stats, but I'm going to take a gander that we've probably been pretty bad <laughs> in the half court each year that he's, he's been here. Although, of course, some of it not doing part to him, didn't part a lot to the players that he had to work with. Uh, but still, the fact that now we're starting to get some talent in here. We got Bogey who's going off left and right, uh, and we're still struggling in that. It's not a good sign. Yeah. So just just for a reference, Golden State is currently the ninth best at 98 points per possession. Boston leads the league right now at 106.7. So for us to be under 90 uh, is a problem. There's a pretty good cluster in like the 95-ish range. That's kind of the median. Um, it'd be nice to get up there. I mean, that's mostly about... Uh, you know, just just execution stuff, right? Uh, I don't know that it's as much about Casey, uh, so much as it is about just having young players. And um, you know, he doesn't. I, we'll, we'll talk about this more later. But I don't. I don't think what he's running so far has been a, a huge problem for me. Um, so some other related stuff, though, also from cleaning the glass. Detroit's 29th in their transition impact. Uh, so they're saying that basically running in transition is only about a one a plus one point four uh, points per hundred added, which is not great. Um, they're only twentieth in frequency at fifteen point seven percent of their possessions. Overall, they're scoring one hundred and eleven points per possession total, um, hmm. which I mean that sounds great, right? I mean one hundred and eleven is a lot better than eighty nine. Um, yeah, but kind of when you do the math, you're really not gr- getting. Um, great efficiency and the best teams are 125 plus uh denver right now is leading the league points per transition play uh, 146.5 points per 100 possessions in transition uh that's 50 points or sorry that's uh 30 points i, I uh that's 30 points better than detroit um you know and uh, and to not be in um, 
kind of the top 10 of frequency is also kind of a struggle. Um, 15.7 is nowhere near, um, you know, the top. The uh, Toronto leads the league at 21.2. Most of the the more frequency teams are like 18%, 17 to 18. It'd be nice if we were up there. I know Casey's trying to cut down turnovers, but um, just something to monitor Mm. is that even though, you know, we see Ivy, um, you know, in transition, even though we think of like Killian and Cade as good transition passers, uh, I think Bogey is actually a pretty good transition player, uh, just smart and obviously a spacing threat. Uh, between the, the the youthful mistakes and Casey's conservatism, they're just not super efficient in transition yet. Um, yeah, and, ba- and I mean especially like that the converting off rebound rate of being 29th in the league. Yeah, what like I see that stat and I just kind of wonder like how how are you less than a 100 points per possession off a rebound in, like, a transition game. Right. Because it's, it's only it's only doing that in transition. It's only doing that right. when you're kind of on more of a fast break, right? Right. Yep. So that that's basically your – so uh, your transition uh, offense off a steal, right, is going to be way better, right? Because you're starting a third of the way down the court usually, right? You're going to get your steal at the top of the key. Usually you're going to mm-hmm. be ahead of the offense. So, like, Atlanta leads the league right now in transition purely off steals at 170.2 points per 100 possessions. Now, I'm sure at this point in the season, uh, you know, that's a minuscule amount of um, plays. But uh, even off steals, Detroit is only 17th at 137. Um, That is, I think, a pretty high variance thing. That's a pretty hard one to... To nail down, mm-hmm. but yeah, off live rebounds. I'm not. I don't remember exactly how he calculates this, but that's really thinking like you're scoring within the first like six seconds off a live rebound, right? Okay. So you get it. You get your rebound. Is it? Is it maybe like getting a shot off within the first seconds? Maybe. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah, it's yeah. your it's your efficiency on that possession if the if the possession ends in like under six seconds. I I can't remember the number. That's basically what he's looking at here. Short possessions are going to effectively be transition possessions uh, if they're not offensive rebounds, obviously. Um, so short mm-hmm. possessions, starting with a defensive uh, rebound, um, what's that look like? Pistons just are not that great. Um, 28th in the league on points per play, uh, barely 100 points per possession, not good. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So all of it adds okay. up to the league's worst margin of victory right now. Which is a, a an award that the Pistons and the Magic battled for last year. Right now, it's negative nine seven three nine point seven three. So the Pistons are losing games on average by about ten points a game. Um, and for reference, when we said uh, um, two years ago, the year we got Cade, right? Uh, we all said, "Hey, this is like one of the best looking tanking teams, right? This is a really fun tanking team, etc." They were at about a negative five to a negative three for a lot of that season. So for the Pistons to start feeling good, even if they're losing, uh, that's got to probably go down by four points um, and and get those games closer. Um, Obviously, that isn't really a a direct reflection of any one thing, right? It's just you're getting blown out by nine points a game. But uh, mm-hmm. you know that's that's really the 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 way we felt about the team a couple of years ago, when, even when they were losing, 
you know, it was a five point difference. You know, the record didn't change that much, but yes, it it was actually that dramatically different, um, of kind of game results. Yeah. Do you think it has something to do with kind of the new uh, like scheduling that the NBA has, where you're playing a lot of these doubleheaders? So the Pistons have already played like two games of the Bucks. They played the Hawks twice, which should be a pretty good team. Like, do you think it has anything to do with kind of the strength of schedule that we played against? I believe our strength of schedule is actually one of the worst. Um, oh really? Oh uh, well, <laughs> and I, I think worst in terms of I think we've played really good teams. Um, let me okay. let me see. <laughs> I can never remember how strength of schedule is calculated. Our uh, strength of schedule uh, SRS is thirtieth. Uh, we are negative eight point nine. I don't know what that means. That's actually a, a zero is average. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I think we've had a relatively tough schedule, but I, I got to remember how that stat works, to be honest with you. Um, but, I mean, it does include games against uh, Cleveland, games against Milwaukee. Um, you know, so there there have definitely been stronger games. I mean, the Knicks have looked good uh, so far. That early Knicks game doesn't look too bad. Um yeah, and obviously mm-hmm. a game against the Warriors, who have not been amazing to start the season, but are still the Warriors. So, yeah, um, exactly. I don't know necessarily. Although we did beat the Warriors, so I don't know how much that really says. Right, but I don't necessarily know how much uh, that contributes directly to the to the the margin of victory, so much as just like the lack of defensive execution is really noticeable. Right, the, we've gotten yeah. so much younger. The defensive execution is such a problem. Right now, the Pistons are 26th uh, in terms of offensive rating and 30th in terms of defensive rating, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd really... I mean, I'll definitely look at that and, and agree. From what I've seen defensively, we looked right. just rough. Right. Just absolutely. Like, there, there's a lot of times, especially in that Wizards game, where I'm like, did you guys look at this counter report? Did we check this at all? Right. Do we... Like, there's a decent amount of veterans in the team. It's not like they're all, like, the rookies. They're going out there just doing whatever. It's... That's the frustrating part to yeah. me. I mean, a, a defensive rating of 117 per 100 possessions is, is pretty bad. Uh, that's 30th. It's not fun. <laughs> is that really? You know, 117? Yeah. A D rating of Jesus 117. Um, you know, so, and that's the thing where, like, you would really hope, um, you know, within the next couple of years, right, offense is a thing that, like, can be pretty hard to get up to kind of top 10. You'd really hope that that defensive rating starts climbing towards, like, 15. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. s- s- by the end of next year, that you're just in the normal zone, because uh, that's how yeah. you get to to you know 36 wins, and just a, a team that looks like it's finally comfortable in its own skin. Um, you know, the o- the offensive rating is is what's going to take you to the top, but that defensive rating is is how good you're going to feel at the end of the night, most nights. So, um, I wanted yeah. to to end this section though on a, on a good note. Uh, 301. 0.301 is the fourth best free throw rate in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Pistons are drawing a lot of free throws. Uh, I think a, a big thing to call out here, Isaiah Stewart has really looked a lot better recently uh, because he's, yep, he's going straight up into into shots. I've made a big deal out of this when I do the clipping threads. Um, you know, there's no more pump faking for him at the rim, right? He's just getting himself, dragging those arms underneath people, and ripping that ball up to the rim and getting the ball on the rim as soon as possible, as soon as he touches it, 
Uh, it's he's starting to really draw free throws. Um, he's currently second on the team in free throw attempts, only .1 behind Sadiq Bay per game at four point nine. Right, Sadiq Bay is mm-hmm. at five free throws a game. Isaiah Stewart's at four point nine. He's shooting those at seventy two percent too, which is you know a totally respectable percentage. Um, you know that's that's more than Jaden Ivey, right? That's that's uh, quite a bit. And actually, what is his personal? Let me scroll down here real quick to the advanced stats. And where is my free throw rate? There it is. Uh, Isaiah Stewart currently has yeah, a free it. throw rate of fifty eight percent. He's nice. he is attempting uh, a free throw every other shot attempt. Um, <laughs> so. You know, that, that is a huge individual difference. Dern is also drawing a lot of free throws. Hami is drawing a lot of free throws. And Sadiq is the other one that we really have to call out. Sadiq has a uh, mm-hmm. .43 free throw rate. So he is also getting a free throw on almost half of his his shot attempts. Yeah, I would say it's been, I would say, a very impressive development from, especially like as we were talking about Stu, talking about Sadiq, Cade to a lesser extent, Ivy is came in and looked uh, drawn a lot of free throws as well. And, of course, the acquisition of Bogdan has been helping, too, to help that. Yep. So, all around, I like that aggressiveness. You like going at the hole. Yeah. Um, and that's with Cade still as, as under a point two, which is embarrassing for uh, yeah. the kind of driver he is. Um, yeah, he's, I don't he's say how much he drives. He's forcing it more, but we went over this a bit last year, and he was driving more than all of the other rookies and getting less free throws than all of the other rookies that were like top rookies in his class um yeah you know and that and that's just like if you're driving that often and uh taking that many shots at the rim and you're not getting calls uh that's just a statistical indicator that like you have some kind of officiating bias against you because uh, it's <laughs> like that that's one of those things it's kind of like um uh xg in soccer Right, like eventually, um, and for people who don't know, XG is just the thing they calculate where they say the ball was shot from this area of the field. Uh, sometimes X, the formula takes into position the defenders, but they basically say uh, this uh, shot was worth uh, or scores a goal 20% of the time. And so mm-hmm. basically what happens is you add up all the shots in a game and you say, ah, they should have scored two and a half goals. Or uh, you add up all the shots in a season. You say, ah, they should have scored 80 goals this season. And the thing about XG is, like, from game to game, there's a lot of variance in it. Um, you know, sometimes you'll you'll put up 2.5 XG and you'll score zero goals. And sometimes you'll put up half an XG and you'll score two goals. But over a sample size, it almost always evens out. Player to player, almost nobody uh, in the world, like, Lionel Messi doesn't really finish that much better than the XG model. He's like 20% better than XG, which is insane compared to everyone else. And the, the point I bring up here is uh, rim attempts and free throw rates uh, are kind of the same thing, where when you have high volume of drive, you have high volume of free throw rate. And if if that doesn't hap- equate, usually you can dive into it and be like, interesting, this is a guy who has like a certain reputation as uh, being a flopper, and so he doesn't get these calls. It's that, like Usually you can find narrative explanations more than you can find like technical ones. Mm. Interesting. 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 All right. <sighs> New segment. Web- <laughs> Webster's take. 
Webster's take for the pod. I want one yep. nice spicy take out of you. So, so here's the thing. Jake gave me this, and I saw that on the, the podcast list, and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I have a great example for this. And then I scrolled a little bit farther down, and the first thing Jake wanted to talk about after was the exact same thing, <laughs> which was something that has been bringing me since I was at the Pistons-Wizards game a couple weeks ago. It's something that has annoyed me with Casey for a while, but now, especially with the players that we have on the team, is bringing more to a forefront, and something that I, I know that you're see, we're seeing improvements as we go, but that it, it's still something that I think at this point is unacceptable, which is the amount of platoon swaps that we get uh, for the Pistons, just bringing in all the bench players and having them do a stretch run, and then bringing in like three starters and then the other two, and like there's no flow, there's no there's no splitting of the minutes, especially when you have you know a Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey, two guys that are young and developing and are going to be the cornerstones of your franchise. You want them both to get comfortable with the ball and without the ball. And right now. Ivy's getting a lot of time without the ball, but he's not getting a whole time, whole lot of time with the ball because he's playing with Cade so goddamn much. And it's something where I feel like between at least those two and Bogey, I'll, I'll kind of throw him in this since he's been so good so far this year, but you got to stagger, especially Ivy and Cade. And I feel like it's not something where they have to be like completely opposites except for the beginning and end of games, but between Bogdan, Ivy, and Cade, you need to have at least one of those three on the floor at all times if you want to have a competent offense. If you're out here rolling out a, like, uh, let me think here, like a Hami, Killian, Kojo, Duran Livers lineup, like, that's not not great defensively, or offensively. Or like, defensively, for the record. Or, <laughs> or defensively, for that matter. I mean, Livers obviously is the best plus defender we have. God, eh. Yeah. Would it be a bad? Actually, would that be a bad defensive lineup? I don't. I don't know if yes. that'd be terrible. You have both Kojo and Hami in that lineup. Yes, <laughs> that's true. And Duran uh, for like I, think, I, I have been really, really, really pleased with with Duran, like the instincts he shows, and obviously the the athletic feats yeah. are, are but, astounding. But like he's still not a, a plus defender yet. But that's kind of all right. We're getting yes. sidetracked. Sidetracked. Here. Sorry. Which. My point is still to say, like, in the NBA, in today's NBA, the teams that excel are able to have a couple different ball handlers that can play together and also play off of each other. And if we want uh, Ivy and Cade and everyone else to develop as ball handlers, we need to give them minutes where they're doing that by themselves. And I don't feel like we've done that up to this point in the year. And it's probably my biggest frustration because I feel like it's something that we talked about Casey's rotations for since he's been here. We've been upset about that. And it doesn't seem to be changing at any point. And it's something that's getting pretty frustrating to watch, especially now that we have the talent we need. We have such a need to stagger these minutes for people's development. Or just for the team to be good as well, which is a minor problem. So it's just something that's frustrating me. I, it was really killing me going to that Wizards game and seeing the Wizards split up like Porzingis and Kuzma and Beal. Like they were all splitting different minutes. Obviously Beal was hurt in that game. Uh, for a bit, so it made it a little bit uh, harder to stagger, but like, there was times when it was Porzingis and a bunch of bench dudes and you just throw the ball to Porzingis and let him get some points, because he's, he's a good NBA player. And I feel like we need to start doing the same thing with with Cade, with Ivy, with with Bogey, like with these great offensive players. You need to sprinkle them into those bench lineups a little bit more. So, 
Yeah. That's my rant. Yeah. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, no, I agree. Um, I know your answer on that. So, <laughs> saw it. <laughs> so, so I, this obviously transitions us right into the, the next segment that I did have pegged out. Uh, I think we're going to come back to this segment we usually do anyways. Uh, I'm just going to call it Casey's Corner. Where we just talk <laughs> Casey's about, moaning. We just talk about whatever he's doing. Uh, and, and whether it's good or bad. And I think there's some things I'm taking out this year that are more good than, than they have been in the past, but uh, mm-hmm. rotational stuff. So he is starting to carry starters over into the bench unit a bit more. Um, yeah. So I will I'll, say, I've noticed it more in it's, it's whatever been like game the last, I like recently. four games. Uh, kind of off the top of my head, I haven't, I haven't checked it. I will say, to your earlier point, Jaden Ivey has played... Uh, let me... Double check. Uh, 318 total minutes so far. 261 of them. 262 <laughs> have been with Cade Jesus. Cunningham. With Cade, yeah. So you know that's, that's. And I think even there's even more. I'm looking. I'm looking at the same thing you're looking at right now. Even more with Bogdan. Yeah. It's like which I mean basically it's it's the the uh, starting lineup has played 200 minutes together. So yeah, exactly. Um, and it's so the the point is like yes he has he he could do with being a little more split. Uh, I think I checked the uh, uh, my lineup tracker here for the last game, and he only got uh, he came in at the ten minute mark of the second quarter, and Cade came in at the six fifty mark of the second quarter. So he got you know three minutes by himself with Killian before uh, that substitution. So you know, I don't know that they need to be separated for Ivy's sake. Um, I'll push back on that a little bit. I think that those two have worked together fairly well. Um, I don't necessarily know that I want to ram a bunch of reps down Ivy's throat at this point. I think he's mostly been able to kind of thrive just finding himself within the regular offense. Um, And I kind of want to just keep a good flow for him at this point. Um, You know, he's, he's showing kind of pick and roll uh, craft and stuff in like the small minutes. And I don't necessarily know that we need to force reps on him right now. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, certainly it's like, oh, do I want Ivy or Hamadou Diallo on the floor? Right. It's like, well, I want (laughs) Ivy, Uh, especially if like, I'm trying to be like, oh, do I want Hayes and uh, Diallo together? Or do I want Hayes and Ivy? Like give me Hayes and Ivy every time, Um, you know, which is another one of those things where like, Right now, uh, Killian and uh, Diallo's minutes are like lining up perfectly every game. Mm-hmm. That's a huge issue. Like maybe they overlap a little bit because obviously, uh, I think Casey thinks that Diallo has earned time to play, uh, and like it's going to come with the bench unit and stuff. But like, it's a hundred percent. It it can't yeah. be a hundred percent overlap for these guys. Because uh, you're just killing both of them. I mean, we, we're seeing uh, there's a play from, I think it was the, the OKC game, where Killian cuts down the slot. Uh, I forget who has the ball, like on kind of like the left block. Killian cuts down the slot. It's the right move. It's the right cut to make to open up the offense. Except Hami immediately cuts from one corner into the middle of the floor right after him. And like... Now everybody's in the paint, and because you have two non-shooters, and I think Duran was on the lineup as well, like, everybody's now in the paint, nobody's leaving the paint. And then I think we ended up with a... I think that's the one... I think that, I think that was ended up in a Killian isolation, and I think he got the ball stripped, because 
he tried to drive into five people in the paint because that's what <laughs> like was being asked of him and like you know you're, you're setting everybody up for failure when you do that um mm-hmm. and like i get that there's like some difficulty here again because you feel like these guys have earned minutes and like it, that bench is just not well crafted from a personnel perspective i i I'm, there's it's not easy but if you care about like whether or not killian is gonna like be something you can't be doing this tim if you mm-hmm. care about whether or not diallo is going to be something you can't be doing this tim this is extremely bad for both people and in the meantime you're getting really weird livers and durin minutes because they're both operating in really strange spaces um I, I, I do want to give Casey credit, though. I do think he's he's been trying to get Bay and uh, and Bogdan to kind of, like, carry over into some of the bench lineups. He's still, like, refusing to, like, keep them there permanently. Um, hmm. But he, he did do a better job. I think Bay was in almost all of the bench lineups uh, last game. Um, I Means he's playing 37 minutes a night. But, uh, like, he's doing better. The thing that's really driving me nuts, though, is that he, Casey is refusing to adjust like in-game what the lineups are. He has his targets where he's very clearly hitting his targets, and that's it. And that really shows up in games. Um, I'm trying to remember which game it was where Killian was having a really good end of game um, a couple of days ago. And uh, it's it was one of the ones we were getting blown out. And Killian has a good start to the fourth. And then it was like, oh, we're getting blown out. Let's get some uh, some Magruder Kojo minutes, you know, just to make the vets <laughs> feel good. And yeah. it was like, what's the point? Why? Wait, hold on. Wait, like, you're, you're so locked into this idea that, like, oh, uh, scores more than 15, you know, that we're, we're down more than 15 with six minutes to go. I got to give the vets some run. I'm going to let Kojo just run the show. And Magruder run. And it's like. You can get those guys on the floor, and you can play them with Killian, who's playing really well, and like mm-hmm. actually those two are going to give him spacing, and like a Killian, Kojo, Magruder, Knox, Duran, whoever. I, I don't think Duran was available, but like, is that lineup going to bleed points? Yeah, yeah, it is. Is it going to look good? No, but it like if Killian's rolling, like this is important. We we saw this with Seku all the time, right? Seiku would have, yeah. you know, a, a great three-minute stretch, mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, it's time to sub Seiku out. I was like, wait, what? What? What are we getting out yeah. of that? What is the point? Uh, so I think I think that remains the most frustrating thing. It's just that it's very clear he's walking into games with, you know, a rotation scripted on his clipboard, and just not changing. And that was an issue with him in Toronto. It's been an issue with Casey forever. This isn't new. Um, but it, it just mm. it really hurts when when you're not rewarding guys um, for good play, and basically the only time he does reward guys for good play is uh, like one guy might hold over from the bench when they're like leading. And it's like yeah. okay, that's fine. Like that, I, obviously I want that, but why does that not apply when you're losing? I like the uh, on a exactly. possession by possession basis. You need to value the defense, the the development context of the players, and I I don't think he does a very good job at that. Yep, nope, I agree entirely. And it's kind of where I feel like there's a little bit of pushback you can have on him being a successful player developer, 
is situations like that. And look, he's obviously had a lot of success stories during his time in the NBA. He's been in the NBA for a little while, so I feel like that's kind of sometimes comes to the territory. But on this current Pistons team, I don't see like I don't see some of these younger guys who are trying to find their footing. I don't see them really necessarily improving under Casey so far, and that's what that's what I feel like is the biggest issue um, in year four of his tenure. So it's an issue, very... and I think that one of the other issues is it's sometimes hard to see the intentional investment in players on the court. Like, mm-hmm. um, are you running things specifically for these guys? Like, when the bench comes in. Are you running stuff for Killian, or are you just running the same old stuff, right? And, like, some games I think he's actually doing a good job, and some games it feels like we're not organized, and it's like, why are we not running stuff? I think the uh, a great example isn't actually offensive, it's defensive, where Killian comes in, he's not currently, for, for multiple games this year, he's not been the guy tasked with guarding the best perimeter scorer on the other end. And it's like, what's the point? <laughs> What, what what are we doing? Why yeah, why are we asking uh, Jaden Ivey or Hamadou Diallo to you know guard their best guy, and then we wonder why we have the thirtieth best defense in the league? And I'm not the yeah. one. Uh, I'm not the only person complaining. I mean, I've I've seen multiple national guys be like, "Well, if Killian's gonna play, why aren't yeah. you using him for this or this or this?" Literally, and, his is by far best uh, attribute is defense, especially against. You know, a ball handler on the other team. So, yeah, yeah that's mind-boggling. All right. Um, other Casey's corner wanna, topic here. I'm going to say you want to talk about more defense here. Yeah, Let's just yeah. see where this is going. Um, just defensive scheme stuff. I think I think it's worth touching base. Uh, we talked about it a little bit probably coming off the preseason. Worth touching base, though, on how the, uh, the schemes have changed. Um, the Pistons are definitely running more drop. They've moved away from as much of the switching. Um, that was a pretty natural evolution uh, that the, they were going to have to make when Duran and uh, um, Noel came into the side. They are definitely switching Stu more than they're switching Duran and Noel. Um, mm-hmm. They're definitely still switching like-sized actions, um, you know. But but there's they're now incorporating drop reads into it. So from what you've seen, I guess, how do you feel? Is you know early returns on on new defensive schemes. I mean, I'm not going to even sit here and say that I can see what's really going on. I have seen the Pistons in the games that I've watched. I feel like they're still getting pretty torched in the paint, not necessarily on pick and roll schemes, uh, but just in other like opportunities uh, where just bad defense is being played. So I feel well, like there's, I there's am... definitely like the back cuts, you know, in the, in the, yeah, uh, that... just the lazy things. Well, it's lazy things. And, I, I, I don't want to get on my soapbox about this too much, but I, the the um, it's a really easy thing to do when we see players make mistakes to say that it was like an effort thing, right? It's a really easy yeah. thing to be like, oh, he's a lazy defender, right? Like Jaden Ivey, for example, is getting back cut a lot. And it's really easy to be like, well, Jaden Ivey's a lazy defender. But then like if you look at him, you're like, no, he's not, right? This is a mm-hmm. dude who's trying, right? Hamadou Diallo is not a lazy defender. He's a terrible defender, but he's not a lazy <laughs> defender, right? He's a guy who gives a lot of effort. The problem is he doesn't process the game well on that end, right? He doesn't see things. There's like a certain 
uh, rhythm you got to have to play defense, right? Where you got to be, you got to know like when to look for the ball and when to like check your man. And, and if you get it wrong, you're going to get back cut because you're looking for the ball at the wrong time of the play. And like, that's just kind of the instincts that people have to pick up. And it's really obvious when guys like Jaden Ivey are just stuck in a processing loop, you know, and they're just, and, and this was a, a, a thing. Um, offensively, I clipped a play, I think from the last game where Jaden Ivey comes down the floor. He's kind of in the, uh, driving along the, the left side of the lane and he stops and uh, Bogey is completely wide open in the left side of the floor. And Jaden has one defender in front of him. And he stops and he looks at Bogey. And the defender's like kind of playing a two-man game. And eventually the defender commits to Bogey. And Jaden still has the ball. And now he has nothing in front of him until the center. So he's got like eight feet. to Basically, he's already stopped. He's picked up his dribble. to But just like shoot a little mid-range shot. But he's... Mm. Clearly being like, shit, I should have passed that to Bogey. And he's completely frozen <laughs> in this processing loop and never takes this mid-range shot, which also is not a comfort shot for him. But, like, that's just the mm-hmm. kind of thing where it's like, this is what happens when you give these kids, you know, reps. Like, they, this is a, just a, a processing hang-up from somebody who has not done this enough for this to be second nature. And that's yeah. entirely expected, entirely fine. But if all you do is look at the film and not try and have you know, kind of an empathy for what this player is doing, you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, ah, it's a dude who's like being really lazy and stupid. And like, that's not what's happening, right? You see these guys get back cut and like, well, if you, if you rewind the tape, like he, he ran over to his man in the corner, he tagged his man. He made sure that he was like in physical contact distance. And then he took, you know, he stepped into position and then he said, Oh, I got to step up and help, you know, deter this drive. And you know, he's getting caught in two minds and all, and he checks for the ball and he checked for the ball while the guy started driving and all of a sudden there's a back cut and you know and it's just like he just did it at the wrong time and he doesn't have a sense for when these actions are happening you know maybe the communication around him isn't good enough yet all that stuff adds up to what makes a good defense and it's really easy to say oh this dude's being lazy you know because he got back cut and it's like mm-hmm. it's not that right it's a collection of all this you know mostly intellectual work that it's just not happening, you know, naturally for these guys yet, not happening instinctively for these guys yet. And that is fine and expected for players this young, right? Not everyone is going to be Draymond Green. You know, it is, it is an ultimate rarity for guys to come in, you know, under 22, under 23 and have any kind of understanding of this and any kind of timing for this. Cause it's also completely different than anything they've experienced in college. And, um, and in high school, right? This is stuff that people mm-hmm. are more likely to learn on things like international basketball, um, with, that has more slightly more like appropriate spacing and stuff, right? You're you're not going to learn that in AAU. Um, yeah. So that's 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 I think something just worth soapboxing about for a few minutes there. Yeah, I was a defense is not taught like it used to be. You can see that across the board, and I feel like you see it a little bit in college, but. NBA defense is so unique to just kind of the skill set of the NBA. It's hard to learn a lot of those things. Yeah, I, I wouldn't it, say so. that it's not taught like it used to be, and, and more say that like the NBA has now evolved so far. Well, past. maybe maybe to put the NBA game in the past more like more closely mirrored what you see yes. in high school and college, yeah. whereas now it's so like laser 
on its own little area. Yes. That it's kind of hard yeah. to have defensive schemes carry over. Yeah. You, the stuff you learn in college, right? the the timings, the the schemes. I mean, things like we you hear about like pack line defense in in uh, college all the time, right? These these teams are gonna gonna help at the nail and they're gonna really drive uh, and, and force you to traffic. And guess what? Shit doesn't work in the NBA, right? Because that mm-hmm. rotation is three feet longer, uh, four feet longer, five feet longer. Because these people are shooting from three, four feet behind the NBA line, right? That ro- that little nail dig where you're standing like inside the paint to stop a drive, that's a corner kick every time in the NBA, right? You're willing to give that up in, in college because the corner shooter's a 34% college shooter. Like, you don't care. That mm-hmm. the, the principles are so different. The athleticism is so different. The, the three-point, or the, the three-point, the three-second rule... Uh, you know, in the paint changes everything. Uh, you know, people always say, right, that college kids try harder on defense, right? That college defense is better, etc. And it's like, oh, the classic. It's like, no, it's not. It's way easier to do, right? It's way easier to execute. You're playing against worse players in smaller spaces. It's just easier, and that's and that's you see these guys get onto the NBA stage, even guys who are good college defenders. They suck, <laughs> right? They, <laughs> they come into the NBA, and unless you're like Matisse Thibel and you have like such great kind of ball instincts that you're able to make up for positioning instincts, none of these guys come in, even like Evan Mobley, didn't come in with the kind of like perimeter uh, positioning instincts that make them legitimately good, right? It's, it's yeah. the, the, even the, the rookies that come in and are good on defense are usually good on defense because they're like really technically sound once they finally find their matchup. But it's still the mistakes they make are holy shit, where is my matchup? I just got rotated three times in thirty you know, three seconds and now I gotta I gotta rethink basketball. That's common for everybody. Um mm-hmm. so you know that that's where we talk about some of the defensive stuff. Um, you know, what do, what do we have to one of the notes I kinda have here is like how do you, how do we analyze the confusion they have this year because it's very clear right there's a lot of confusion uh in the in the defense for me uh last year i thought a lot of the confusion was like you're asking guys to make you know switch or don't switch calls in that switch everything scheme and mm-hmm. then it was a switch everything scheme so we got a lot of the soft switching and all this stuff and like the confusion there was just like people were never quite sure how to technically approach a given situation because they weren't sure who was switching, how they were going to switch, etc. I think yeah. now those calls, it's just like they're different calls, right? We're learning a new scheme, new players. I think for the most part, I'm fine with the confusion we're seeing because it's the kind of confusion you see when you're learning things. I think before yeah. it was like this is a defense that's like a switch everything thing. Defense is like it requires people to be too individually good at switching right it's it's too reliant on people who are already good defenders to know things about how to play um and it 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 put guys in bad positions i think now it's like okay we're actually learning reads and that's hard and so guys are getting it guys are getting it wrong and guys are getting the spacing wrong and sometimes we're in drop you know the pistons have had trouble running spain uh, uh defending spain actions right which is where uh, you have the pick and roll, and as the roll man rolls, uh, a third player screens the roll man's defender, 
so that he gets a freer roll, and then the screener usually is popping out for a three. So you get this three-man action. Um, the easiest way to defend it is to switch everything, but you got to switch everything right. And if you drop it, you have this interesting thing of what ha- what do you do with the back screener who pops, and you always end up with a... It's a very confusing, confusing action to get right, because a lot of times uh, it's not set up, like, really... Uh, overtly, right? You're bringing in somebody, they're, they're on a baseline cut, and all of a sudden they're a back screener to this pick and roll. And it's it's a very confusing action. The Pistons are getting blown up in it a lot. And it's like, yeah, but that's fine to me, because like these are the reps they need. This is the confusion they need to go back and film and be like, what did you do there? What did you think you were going to do there? This is what we're going to do there. Like Those are the discussions they can have now. It's like, this is the scheme, this is what we want to do in this situation, versus like, hey, when we switched... Uh, you didn't take two steps wide, right? You only took a stride and a half, so you gave up a driving angle, which is just like a technical failure of somebody who has not learned to play defense yet. And, like, you can't recover from that schematically, right? You just have to, like, coach them to be better defenders, which is a much longer process than just coaching a scheme, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Gotcha. I followed some of that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Long-winded explanation. Do you have anything else you want to cover in today's pod? Do you want to do a prospect uh, of the week? Let's do a quick prospect and get out of here. All right. Who would you select for for this week's prospect of the week? Someone who I was hoping to see um, in person in a couple weeks, uh, but you saddened me to... Uh, you, you disappointed me? I don't know what word I'm looking <laughs> for here. Um, but I am, I am disappointed to hear that he is out with a foot injury and will not be playing in the Michigan State-Villanova game. And that is Cam Whitmore, or as you have described him, Cam Hitmore. Yes. Because apparently he's a strong safety uh, for the Villanova football team. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Cam is fun. Cam is really fun. He's going to be a top 10 pick uh, probably this year, assuming he, he manages to get healthy. He'll probably be healthy, I think, by uh, by Christmas would be the hope. Um, I think the the initial projections were before then. But he is, he is like, what happens if Sadiq Bey is like a really physical Player. You like, had to use like, the Villanova prospect. Like, uh, you had to use the Villanova prospect. Well, like, it's not even that. He, it's like, would he be like it's like a the, Michael the, Bridges as well? No, no, more like a Miles Bridges. Um, okay, like so you've got you've got that like stocky frame, right? Big stocky mm-hmm. uh, uh, three, maybe a four for for him. He's maybe a little bit more able to play a four because he's he's a lot more athletic than Sadiq is. Uh, the shot is a little bit more of a work in progress. He had, he's had some, some competitions uh, in high school where he was more of a 30% shooter and some competitions where he was more like a 38% shooter. So uh, that's kind of one of the, the, the things we're going to really want to track this year is, is what happens uh, to Cam Whitmore as a shooter. But he is just a freight train as a driver. Uh, you know, yeah. When it comes to just being a catch-and-go physical athlete, willing to take con- uh, contact, willing to hit you at the rim, um, you know, he, he really does play, you know, like a running back. He, he plays like a football player uh, in those yeah. situations. Um, you know, like most kids, right? He's, he's not a, a savant defensively in terms of position. Right? We just talked about how hard that is. But he is a dude where it's like you can see all of this creating a fun defensive profile of a guy who's going to be able to switch around and impact things physically. Um, yeah. You know, he, I, I, I got a chance to watch him. Uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of his high school tape, but I did get a chance to watch him uh, in the FIBA uh, Americas 
games this year where so he's playing with a lot of the other um kind of freshman aged prospects and he just stood out in a floor that had like Nick uh Nick Smith on it um you know so one of the, one of the premier mm-hmm. point guard prospects that'll be playing for Arkansas this year you know other other triple a uh names and it was just like oh when Cam Whitmore's on the floor like you're going to you want to watch Cam Whitmore because he's the fun one, yeah. right? He's the he's the yeah. one that 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 is blowing shit up all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like he doesn't. From what I've seen, uh, watching his highlights a little bit before this pod, like he is not. Uh, he will never be mistaken for Zion, but he tries to play with the same kind of yeah. tenacity that y- Zion. Yeah, does. The, it, it's very much. This is a a player who, like, if he sees a lane, is hurtling towards the rim. There's no yeah. like Shea Gilgis Alexander like. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dance over here and dance over there, like whatever the opposite of that is, right? It's it's just a freight train to the rim with enough like ball handling and skill. Like he's not a guy who's like, oh, I'm just gonna draw crazy amounts of charges, right? Because I'm I'm uh, out of control. Um, that's that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But he is just a physical force who's fast, who's able to leap, um, and who yeah. has enough uh, ball handling and shooting. You know, to draw closeouts and and then really thrive attacking closeouts. Um, he's a guy who's gonna uh, when when he gets on the floor for Villanova. You know, they play with that five out system. Um, they like to invert their guards a lot, right? So you always think of the the Nova guards who are posting up, right? So what happens if it's Cam Whitmore that they they get switched on somebody and they're willing to let Cam Whitmore post up, right? That's gonna be a really fun thing to see. Um, and of course, we we don't know exactly what Nova looks like because they've got a new head coach this year. Um, but but that's I, I'm really excited for for Cam Whitmore footage. Obviously, I don't I don't want to get too too detailed beyond this because obviously we haven't seen him play college basketball yet. So yeah, uh, and I haven't seen uh, usually when we talk about a guy, I've seen dozens and dozens of hours of footage if it's a, a lottery prospect, and I haven't seen that for him this at this yeah. point. So you know, I don't want to talk too much about weaknesses. I think the the shooting is the big question at this point. How how real is it, and how uh, you know how much is he is he doing off motion and off pull ups versus just little catch and shoot things, etc. But um, yeah, he, he's going to be yeah, fun. He's going to be really fun. And honestly, um, just in general, this is this is a year right where the the talk of the town is the top of the draft. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the the only <laughs> the only talk is number right, one at the top. Here. Right, and and it's going to feel like shit if you have the second best record. And you end up with uh, what is it, sixth pick, right? Is the farthest you'd be able to slide there. You're gonna feel yeah. awful because obviously you're sliding out of a generational talent range at that point. But mm-hmm. this is also a draft that is really deep with guys who would have been, you know, top three last year. Right? It's it's just yeah. full of like there's a lot of really really good talent. So um, that's not to say that you shouldn't celebrate the tank. Get used to it. Celebrate the tank. This is Wemby watch. Uh, we're, we're on Scoot watch. We're on Amon Thompson watch. Uh, <laughs> but if for whatever reason you have a, a slightly more promising season than we thought, and maybe you end up with the seventh pick, uh, you might get a guy like Cam Whitmore, and that might be all right this year. That, that still might be pretty fun. So, yeah. yeah. I'm going to say, everyone, everyone is focusing on, you know, Wemby and Yama, Scoot to a smaller extent. Uh, but there are, it's, I'm taking words because you've watched this a lot more than I have. Um, at this point in the year, but there are some interesting players: the Thompsons, the Whitmores. This, this is a, this is a, a draft absolutely packed full of wing-sized players. 
You yeah. want you want a three, you want a four, conveniently things that the pistons are missing. <laughs> basically <laughs> exactly basically <laughs> everything like pick three through like ten is gonna be somebody who's like between six five and six ten. Um except for maybe do we wanna do he's really do we wanna the only okay. other guard other than Scoot. Do we wanna try and project how a Cam Whitmore would fit on the pistons? Or are uh, we too soon to say that? Again, what if Sadiq Bay was just like a way better athlete? That's that's okay. what you're looking at. You're 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 looking at probably your future starting small forward at that point. That's what I would expect. So um, he would be kind of the long term replacement for like bogey. Either the bogey replacement, or he makes Bay a little more expendable, or like maybe Bay then becomes kind of your sixth man kind of thing. Like yeah. at that point, I mean, you're still he's he's a guy you'd bring off the bench for the first two years of his career, and then you're seeing what happens when like Bay's extension runs out, kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, would be an interesting future lineup of uh, Cade, Ivy, uh, Sadiq, Whitmore, and Duran. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> it, it might be pretty fun. I, I will. Uh, I'll end the prospect talk by saying this: uh, There's a lot of great prospects. You will not have any more fun watching a prospect than you will have watching the Thompson twins this year. Watch the Thompson <laughs> twins because you have uh, twin mind meld shit going on. With like one of the most, like two of the most generational athletes I've ever seen. Like we're talking Andrew Wiggins level athletes, and uh, both of them are like non-shooting, crazy, creative, freak athletes. And they play on the same team, and they have like the twin mind melt, and it's so much fun. Uh, you do have to suffer through the overtime elite. Uh, I was about experience. to say, <laughs> it's you gotta you gotta watch that's, you gotta watch like there's a, there's watching college and then there's watching G League and, and then there's I watching mean, it's not overtime. even like the overtime elite is like talented it's very talented you, it, obviously like these guys <laughs> yeah. have not been there for three four years so like but like from a pure talent perspective overtime elite has more guys that are going to be in the NBA than most college teams right like they they have a higher talent density than like anything up to like the Duke level um, yeah. Fair. The, they they are crazy talented, but they are mostly high school kids. The Thompsons are are older than than usual. Uh, the real thing is that they're just like they're YouTube broadcasts, and they're broadcasted like Twitch streams, and so you have I'm like sorry, shoutcasting. And uh, there's a guy who pretends to be a ref who just walks onto the court and interviews guys during free throws, which sounds like it might be fun. It's not fun. It's miserable. The guys are, like, baffled every time he talks to them. It's horrible. Stop it. Uh, but, yeah, watch the Thompson Twins. Watch Cam Whitmore. It's going to be fun. But uh, he's injured to start the year. So instead of watching Cam Whitmore to start the year, you get to watch the Thompson Twins. Watch Amon Thompson especially because he's probably the number three guy. He might even, like, he's so good he might be worthy of, like, challenging for number two. Uh, one is maybe Ooh. a little extreme, but, like, He's that good. Uh, at this point, from everything I've heard from national media and just seeing with my own eyes, <laughs> there's going to be one person, number one, I don't think there's any question about it, unless there's major injuries that happen. So, and even then, <laughs> still could be him. Wemby is fun. I mean, that that's why the it's it's the, the medicals, the injury risk are, are what you're worried about with Wemby. But yeah, I love Amon Thompson. He's so much fun. And and we gotta, I mean, we gotta like he, stop talking about Amon Thompson because I'm gonna every single time we do one of these prospect of the weeks. Yeah, like, yeah, but I watch Thompson. Thompson. <laughs> I love yeah, my I Thompson. 
I know you've you've said that for I feel like years at this point. I feel like you've been watching them since they were like in middle school. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it was it was like a little bit before last year, and then like the whole time last year because they're older, so they were like draft eligible yeah. last year, and they just decided not to come out, which was kind of unfortunate because Amin would have been pretty clearly the number one for me. Um, really, e- even even like shooting like twenty eight percent from three or whatever he shot, like even then, yes, he would have been pretty cl- like. What if what if Andrew Wiggins level athlete moved like Shea Gilgis Alexander and passed like Lamelo Ball, okay. and and also was like pretty <laughs> boy over, went for three no, and what, went for three hyperboles and one there, and and also happened to be like one of the most elite on ball defenders I've ever seen. That's what we're talking so about. So is it? So he's a mix of what you say Wiggins Lamelo Shea. And let's say Killian Hayes, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like like what if Killian Hayes was six foot seven? Like it's it's like what? Could not far out like, there? To not be too hyperbolic, it's like what happens if Kobe Bryant just doesn't have a jump shot? Like like it's actually like <laughs> not to be too hyperbolic. No, no, but he's Kobe without a jump here's, shot. Here's the funny thing about that is like Kobe was actually not as good an athlete as people think. Uh, I you're not wrong there. Uh, I do like, agree pe- with that. People think he was like way better, but like. The way people think about like a Kobe, except he just doesn't have like a jump shot, and just like think about what that looks like for a while, and then be like, "Oh, that's actually really fucking fun." And if the, you can promise me Kobe without a jump shot or without a couple things, I that'd be on board. I'm not disagreeing with you there. <laughs> I'm pointing out the craziness of that statement. It is crazy. These are the most hyperbolic. Like this is the most hyperbolic draft we will ever see. Wow. <laughs> because you have Wemby as your like clear number one. Like there's no more yeah. hyperbolical prospect, right? Like elite three point shooter who is seven foot five. What the hell? And then yeah. you have Scoot. Well, Wemby broke the mold, right? And then you <laughs> just have like... like Scoot, who is like one of the best point guard prospects we've ever seen. Uh, and yeah. then it's like, oh, next up the list is like the Thompson twins, who are freak, freak, freak athletes, who just have like some of the weirdest skill distributions, like. Amon Thompson just wanders around the lane at hyper speed, but it like, like Andrew Wiggins was like a straight line guy, right? Like, blitz you, uh, he'd do that that pickup spin move. He he and like Giannis like, and like Amon Thompson was like, no, I'm gonna like do like crazy Euro steps the way that like, you just don't expect that kind of freak. Like he he's doing this at light speed, and then he's just dunking all over your face. It, we don't have like comparisons like. He moves a little bit the way like T Mac moved at times, but like with an explosion that you did not see from him. Um, mm. and I, these these are these are two of the most fun prospects I'm ever going to get to watch. I love them very much, and uh, again, like a, super hyperbolic draft, super fun. We really just got a three for one in the. Uh, <laughs> We're going to talk about Amon Thompson and Wemby and Scoot so much more. I'm very yeah, sad I, you don't get to watch Cam Whitmore. That's that's actually pretty sucky for you. Also, because Cam is really, really fun. Well, if it leads to Michigan State win, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, but the win would count for a lot more if you got to beat Cam Whitmore. I don't think they're going to beat Cam Whitmore. <laughs> Probably I'd not. be surprised to beat Villanova. Period. How, how how's your how high is your your MSU confidence meter? I think we will surprise because it's Tom Izzo and it's a team that's projected to be like not good. What is it? Twenty so, conference games, right? So, do you think uh, you go ten and ten in the conference? 
I think this is the weirdest put, Big Ten I've, about, I've, ever, I've ever like. Yeah, I don't know. The thing is, the Big Ten is kind of down this year, so I honestly would expect us to be right around like twelve and eight or so. See, that's like, pretty extreme. That's actually pretty shockingly high. I'm here's the thing. I am higher on, and obviously they have not looked good so far this year. So I didn't get to I watch like the first game. So I didn't get a chance to watch it either. But all I know is that we were tied or we were losing at halftime to Grand Valley. So not a good sign. But I just if we have enough players to go around right now, the issue is rotation players. I think we have enough good players that we could be pretty decent. Um, but all all in all, I think it's just going to be. I put my faith in Tom Izzo just being like, this is a weird team. I'm going to make something that works. And it'll Tom, work. Tom has got to go small this year, right? Because you guys have like no center yeah. depth, right? Because it's like Matty Sissoko is like supposed to be your best center to start the year, and that's horrifying. He, he's the only option unless you want Hauser. Like literally, although the new guy, uh, Jackson uh, Kohler, is actually pretty good from what I've seen. So Yeah, that's, that's where it's like I've seen a lot of like random, like Indiana's going to be the best team in the big. And it's like you're just... You're just saying that. There's nothing to back that up. Yeah. You're just saying that. Like, Michigan's yeah. going to be the best team in the big. I don't know. Like, I like Michigan. They have Hunter Dickinson. That's a yeah. pretty good, like, baseline. But, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'd say, like, Michigan's the favorite. But, like, Purdue. Between, like, I there's, like, know. five teams that are all about even. So, that's where I think, like, I put it more up to this. Is, I think it's going to be, seems like a down year for the Big Ten, which means we're going to have, like, two teams in the Final Four. Because that's kind of how it <laughs> yeah, works. That, the Big Ten. that is how that works. <laughs> so. This is going to be buy the year that Nebraska just blows everyone away for no goddamn reason. <laughs> you ready for some Nebraska ball? <laughs> no. Nebraska ball. ever ready for Nebraska ball. I wasn't ready for Nebraska ball, let me tell you. And they won in a home game at Michigan State once, and I was so confused. <laughs> this is not and right. I think we ended up going to the Final Four because what is this time? no like? sense. Yeah. Ugh. Which which team uh, does MSU get in the uh, Champions Classic this year? Uh, I want to say it's Kentucky, but I could be wrong on that. I know we play Gonzaga uh, on Friday. Ooh, that's we do get Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here we go. We're gonna we're gonna get really killed to start the year. We go <laughs> neutral site game Gonzaga, neutral site game Kentucky, home Villanova, mm. and then mm. Um, mm. neutral site game against Alabama. I'm smelling like the the like one in four start there, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring it up. That At is this a, point, that is a I will, mean schedule. <laughs> yeah, it it's how it's how Izzo does the non-conference, and I'm not oh, opposed to it. That's, but it is brutal. That's that's way more brutal than usual. Gonzaga, Bama. I mean, oh my god, that's harsh. I did not realize that yep. you also had Bama on there. That's a lot of travel too. Yeah, that's all. That's we're rough. all over the place. I think we're like, are we in the Bahamas or something? God, we are. All over in the, the place. Bahamas. You got you got to get the the Ray Bans no, or whatever it is. We were on the Bahamas a couple years ago. I don't think we are this year. Or you What's are it? you in? Uh, is it or you in Michigan? Before the fact, we before the fact we talked too long. We're in Portland. We're in the Phil Knight thing. <laughs> then we played. Then we go to Notre Dame, which I never know if Notre Dame's gonna be good or not. So uh, I don't think they're it's spectacular this year. Yeah. All right. We we I would, have, I would say I've, we got I've seen off. Michigan as the favorite. So this is, this is so much. Yeah, I think they're only the favorite after like they've opened a couple games and Jed Howard looks incredible. They were not the favorite to start the to start the year. Um, all right. I mean, I feel like I, I've never seen them all through the offseason. That's going to be they, they were they were like a top like four favorites. team, but that's only because people like actually knew a player's name on the team, which is yeah, just the, rare. The, maybe it I mean, could be it's entirely team. Hunter Dickinson. That's it's why people are like Illinois. Dickinson. It's like Illinois. Okay, well, they're all transfers, but okay, you, we do know some of their names. Yeah, all it's right. like it, it's pretty much like Michigan, Indiana, because 
they have one good guy that everyone knows for each of those teams. We, we, we got to wrap this one up. So we will talk to people sometime, probably, maybe next week. I don't know. You said, you said and I quote, I should be able to pod more often, which has always led to, I'm not going to be able to talk to you for three weeks. So <laughs> those, those two things. I think I should hand. be able to find time in each of the next couple of weeks to get, for, to get together for a pod. You've cursed us. We'll see you guys in December. <laughs> yep. I'll see you guys in 2023. Bye-bye. Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.